0: Well, on today, we're going to talk about, or the title of my message is Begin Again, an Easter message. Let us turn to Mark chapter 16 in verse 9. And while you're doing that, I want to praise the Lord for Shelby 5 on this morning. Amen. (laughs) Welcome home. Yeah, it's all right for you to unbutton your button and Y'all get loose and relax and tell Big Brother Don that we are praying for him and we are with him all the way. And he owe us another gig, so he's going to have to come on out here sometime soon. Amen. Let's praise the Lord again for Shelby 5 on this morning. Give them a West Angeles applause. But now that you have found that word on Easter morning, this is my first Easter morning as pastor. I ain't nervous, no pressure, amen No, I'm not playing, I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning and said Good God, I'm the pastor (laughs) Every once in a while that just pops up in my mind Good God, I'm the pastor God help us (laughs) But again, it is my great honor to serve you and I think that we're going to be all right as long as you, God's people, still keep coming and worshiping the Lord. You are West Angeles. Let us go into the word. Oh, you know what? I forgot to acknowledge my friend and brother, brother, Irvin Magic Johnson and Sister Cookie. We want to let you know that we were praying for you during this time as well. I haven't been able to see you to actually say praise the Lord for you. And thank y'all, and we are standing with y'all. Mark 16, chapter 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Now, when I was younger, some friends and I used to talk about the actions of the disciples immediately after crucifixion and in the time leading into the resurrection. We used to talk about how those who loved and followed Jesus went into hiding and sank into a deep depression after the crucifixion when in our minds, They should have remembered what Jesus said that he was going to be arrested, falsely accused, crucified, and then rise again on the third day. We would say that they all should have staged a three-day prayer vigil outside of the tomb in expectation of Jesus rising from the dead so both believers and skeptics could see that he had risen from the dead. We would wonder why the disciples did not issue a challenge in the same way Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. Everyone there at the gravesite, believers and non-believers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and of course the Romans. All of those who mocked him, spat upon him, forced the crown of thorns on his head and struck him and teased him, who laughed at him as he struggled to carry the cross on the Via Dolorosa. Rosa, who laughed at him and threw garbage on him and mocked him as he carried his cross to Calvary. They would challenge the soldiers who nailed his his wrists and his ankles to the cross. They all would have heard about the challenge that the disciples issued and all would have been seen and all would have seen the risen Savior come out of that grave and would have had to believe. It would have been spectacular. But naturally, That's not how God wanted it to be. Naturally, that's not how things work out. They're not that simple, are they? Looking back 2,023 years after the fact, it's so easy for us to say how things should have happened, how we would have done things. But on this beautiful Easter morning as we read this text, one thing more than anything else stands out to me about the disciples in, the, in relation to the resurrection of Jesus. As many times as I've read the account of Jesus' di- resurrection, this one thing has been creeping around the outskirts of my thoughts. If you read the accounts, you may have noticed it as well, but it really hasn't stood out as much to me in the past as it has when I've been reading the accounts of his resurrection more recently. And that one thing is that the disciples did not actually believe that Jesus was going to rise again. I know we've tried to hang the title of chief unbeliever on brother Thomas, but in all actuality, all of them should have been called the doubting disciples. Even though he told them on three different occasions that he was going to be arrested, tried, crucified and that he was going to rise again, they didn't believe him. I don't know if they thought he was being overdramatic or overexpressive when he would say it or if they just decided to put it out of their minds, but in any event, they didn't seem to remember during the times that he told them that he was going to rise again. It's right there in the word. After his resurrection in Matthew 28 and 16, it reads, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. But some doubted. In our text on this morning, Mark 16 and 9, it reads, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, what are the next few words? They did not Believe. It's in the word. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they went into the country and they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Three people told them, hey man, he's alive, I've seen him. But they did not believe them either. Luke 24 and 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are y'all troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then it goes on to say when he had said this he showed them his hands and his feet but while they still did not believe for joy and marvel he said to them y'all got any food up in here man I'm, this restaurant restaurant business take a lot out of you man i'm going to need something to eat now he said to them have you any food here When they were told, they did not believe. When someone else told them, they did not believe them either. When they saw him, he had to say, why do you doubt? Why is there fear in your heart? Now, since we here today already know who Jesus is and that he rose again from the dead, it is Difficult, very difficult to understand how those closest to him could not see in the midst of all that he did that he was who he said he was. I mean, they were there to witness almost every miracle. They saw him give sight to the blind. They saw him touch lepers and cleanse them. They saw him cast out demons and give the lame the ability to walk. They saw him feed thousands with next to nothing. They saw him command the storm and raise the dead. They saw him walking on water. They saw him do all of these things, and they still couldn't wrap their minds around who he really is. Just last week on Palm Sunday, we spoke about how how all of Jerusalem laid down their clothes and palm branches in in the road and cried, Hosanna, Hosanna to Jesus, Hosanna in the highest, because they were hoping that he would start an earthly kingdom. They cried out for his crucifixion when he did not meet their expectations. But what we didn't mention last week was, and if you didn't see last week, praise the Lord, we're going to keep on praying for you. It's on YouTube. It's called Hosanna in the highest. Go on and check it out. It's right there online. Hallelujah. But what we did not mention last week was that the disciples held the same expectations that the rest of the Hebrews held. They too were waiting for Jesus to start his earthly David, Davidic kingdom like David had. Countless times they saw him performing miracles and healing people. They heard him time and time again talk about the kingdom of heaven and its coming. They thought he was going to bring it to pass. In fact, they would argue who among themselves was going to be the greatest in the kingdom that Jesus was going to be establishing. One day, two of his disciples, James and John's mama, even went up to Jesus. They're going to send their mama in there to do something. Mama's boys. Anyway, they sent their mama in there to go ask Jesus who tried to lobby for her son's positions in the kingdom when Jesus brought his kingdom to pass. She asked Jesus in Matthew 20 and 21 to let her sons sit on Jesus' right and left when he came into his kingdom. He asked them, can you drink the same cup I drink and accept the same baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And they said, yes, we can. Tough talk for those who were not fully aware of what they were talking about. Jesus said, you do not know what you are asking. You don't know what you're talking about. He said, oh, you're going to drink the same, of the same cup but whether you sit at my right and my left or my left is not up to me. Now, looking back from 2023 after the crucifixion at how James and John went into eternity, that had to be one of the most foreboding and cryptic statements ever made. Be careful what you ask for. But they, too, expected Jesus to raise some kind of earthly army and earthly kingdom and dynasty. Even after the resurrection had arisen, Jesus, unrecognized some of his followers, walked with two of them on the road to Emmaus. As they were walking and crying and being depressed and upset, Jesus, a risen Savior, walked up to him and said, hey, what y'all talking about? the Savior asked as they walked. They answered, you must not be from around here. A whole lot has been going on. There was a great and mighty prophet that has just been crucified. And it says it right there. We were hoping that it was he who would restore Israel. We were hoping that he was the guy who was going to deal with these Romans and bring Israel back to glory. In Acts 1 and 6, again, after Jesus had risen from the dead, it reads, therefore, when they had all come together, all of the disciples, they had asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Even after Jesus arose from the dead, those closest to him still thought, that he was going to establish some kind of earthly kingdom. But there were many times when we see that those even closest to Jesus were prone to get it wrong. More than a few times, about four times, he had to say to them, O oh, ye of little faith. Why did he have to say that? Because they had Little faith. Because even though he was present with them, they had trouble believing. Even though they saw him do all of these things, they still had trouble getting it into their head. Who and what this man is. It's almost impossible for us nowadays to imagine what it was like to be that close to Jesus as he reached out and touched and healed and loved people. It's almost impossible for us to imagine what it was like to see him perform the miracles that we today can only read about. What do you think that looked like? to see him do those things we can only imagine, to spend time with him as a friend, laughing with Jesus, talking with him, traveling with him, seeing him perform the miraculous on a normal basis. What was it like? But not only did they believe that Jesus was going to establish his kingdom on earth, they actually thought that they were going to be ruling the kingdom with him. On the day that Jesus fed the 5,000 men, it's, it's hard not to assume that each of the disciples, as they were handing out the fish and the loaves, thought that they were going to be one of those that Jesus was going to trust to administer the affairs of his kingdom when it came to pass. In their minds at that moment, They had made the right connection. They hit the main line. They were on their way to greatness. My homeboy just told the sea and the winds to shut up. And guess what? It did. I'm with him. Wherever he going, I'm going. It's going to be fabulous. I'm going to be great. I'm going to control the whole west north side of whatever's going on over there. He trusts me to do it. I'm the man. Well, I'm the man standing next to the man. But try to imagine the shock, the fear, and the confusion of the disciples as Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Imagine the searing pain and regret and the nauseating realization that they had fallen asleep when Jesus needed them the most. At his loneliest moment, when he let himself be arrested, and I have to say it again, when he let himself be arrested, because he didn't have to. When he let himself be arrested, the disciples ran and hid hoping that they too would not be discovered and themselves be captured and crucified as insurgents against the Roman Empire as well. Try to imagine the terror that they felt as they fled into the darkness. Don't try in your spiritual arrogance to say that you would have done differently. I would not have did that. I would have stood right there next to my Jesus. No, you wouldn't. If anyone here has ever tried, had to frantically run for your life in terror and panic, then you know what that feels like. When you have to do that, your rational mind completely leaves you and all you can think about is getting away and you don't care who you've left behind. But if you've never been in a situation where you have had to run for your life then try not to be too hard on the disciples. Now, I don't know how many people here have actually had to run for their life in terror. But if you've never had to be through that, don't be too hard on Brother Peter and Thomas and Bartholomew and Levi and the rest of the guys. But Peter... Peter. Peter was so ready to set it off when Jesus was getting arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane that he pulled his sword and swung it and cut off the ear of one of those trying to arrest Jesus. Now, the fact that Peter was even carrying a sword is something that not everybody thinks about. But the fact that he pulled it and tried to split a man's head down the middle means that he thought that it was time to start the revolution. Oh, you thought he was aiming at the guy's ear? Mm. Instead, Jesus not only stops Peter, but heals the man by quickly putting the man's ear back on and reattaching it. It was the complete opposite of what Peter thought Jesus was going to do. You see, in Peter's mind, that was the moment. Now was the time that the kingdom was about to come to pass and Israel was about to be restored. In Peter's mind, now was the time to strike the first blow. Now was the time to fight. He must have to have been so confused beyond belief when Jesus stopped him, healed the enemy, and told him that he who lives by the sword is going to die by the sword. You got it mixed up. This is not that kind of party that I've been planning all of this time. At this, Peter ran himself, but he stopped just far enough away so that he could still see what was going on. Imagine his consternation as he followed behind the mob, waiting for Jesus to reveal his earthly power. He had to be like, he's going to do it. He's going to do it soon. He had seen Jesus tell the wind and the waves what to do. He had seen Jesus tell the dead to rise up, and they got up. He had seen Jesus heal more people than he could count. He had seen Jesus holding court with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was always so bold and outspoken when he was in Jesus' presence, but now at this moment, things are different. Peter was unsure. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. He couldn't believe that Jesus let himself be taken capture. He had seen Jesus gain the upper hand over and embarrass the Pharisees and the Sadducees so many times. He listened to Jesus tell that the kingdom of heaven was at hand so many times. He even walked on water with Jesus for a moment. Now had to be the time. But now here Jesus was letting himself be beaten and berated and spat upon. Tried as a common criminal. In that moment, Peter's world turned upside down. He couldn't understand. He couldn't get it. He really did not know who this Jesus was. He did not know what to do when he got recognized and outed as a disciple of Christ. When confronted on three different times, he screamed that he did not know who Jesus was because in all actuality, he didn't know who Jesus was. After three years, he didn't at least not the Jesus he saw getting beaten and mocked at the moment. His and the other disciples' desire for Jesus to show his earthly power completely blocked out the three different times that Jesus told them that I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be crucified and die, and I'm going to rise again on the third day, what they wanted and what they expected, It did not happen. They seem to have forgotten all of that. It didn't line up with their perspectives with what they were expecting Jesus to do. And they even responded to Jesus and said, I'm going to die and I'm going to get, no, you're not, Lord. We'll die before we let that happen. Yeah, right. But when what they wanted and expected to happen didn't happen, They didn't know what to do. Their world imploded. They ran. All of their talk of standing with Jesus and dying with him went completely away in a moment of terror and panic. They ran. Now, after looking at this, I have to admit that I did not have the highest opinion of who Jesus chose to be his disciples. Never had I seen a group of people so professed to follow a leader that were so far away in their understanding of who that leader actually was. I mean, when he needed them the most, they were not there. At the most stressful and lonely time in his life, when all he needed them to do was stay awake and watch with him for one hour, they couldn't do it. Have you ever given your everything to someone? I mean, your everything, your time, your life, your energy, your love, your everything to someone, and when you needed them to do the simplest, easy thing, they let you down. Now, because hindsight is twenty twenty, we can look at the actions of the disciples and wonder how was it that they could have been so close to the master and still been so far away from him. I've had to wonder how is it that Jesus still believed in them so much after so many disappointing interactions and instances and letdowns. But I think the answer lies in two things I think we might know a little something about these two things the answer lies in two things called grace and mercy look at your neighbor and say grace and mercy all of us are here because of the grace and the mercy of God hallelujah hallelujah you see, we, we talk about those two things, the grace and the mercy of God, like they're the same thing, like they're synonymous. But they are two different things entirely. There's a difference between the two. I love the way my brother John Paul Foster broke it down. He said, Grace is getting what you don't deserve, but mercy is not getting. What you do deserve. I'm going to say it again so you get it. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. But mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You know you don't deserve all of the beautiful things that God has blessed you with. You don't deserve that house you're living in. You don't deserve that car you're driving, the clothes you're wearing, that beautiful person sitting next to you at your spouse. You don't deserve none of that. You haven't done anything to deserve any of that. That is God's grace. But you do know for all the wrong that you have done, you deserve to be off somewhere dead, buried, and gone, but you are still here. Some of y'all should be sitting right up in jail right now, serving a 25-to-life sentence, but you are still here. Some of y'all deserve to be laying in a hospital bed, paralyzed, crippled, and in a coma, but you are still here. That's what we call God's mercy. Look at your neighbor and say, mercy. There's a difference between God's grace and mercy. Grace is you getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Oh, yes, the answer is in his love and mercy, which is still and will be forever beyond my understanding. Even in the middle of all of that, God has let me know and lets us all know that his mercy is new every morning and his grace is ever abounding. Somebody who knows something about that needs to give the Lord praise on today. I'm going to praise him. Hallelujah. Glory, glory. Grace and mercy. Oh, yes. Because we know who Jesus is, it's real easy for us to look down our noses at Brother Peter and the rest of the disciples. But how many of us have denied Christ in our everyday lives? How many of us have denied Christ in our actions and in our thoughts? How many of us have denied him because he has not done what we expected him to do or meet our desires or give us what we really want? And we know who he really is. They've been telling us all of our lives exactly who Jesus was, why he came, what he came to do, what he did, what he did it for, and who he did it for. We know all of that, and we still deny him. So we can't look down our noses at the disciples. Before I can judge the disciples too much, I have to think about how many times I have failed him myself. I'm not even going to look at y'all right now because I'm thinking about how many times I've failed him. How many times I've gotten it wrong and fallen short. I think about the things that he has forgiven me for and sometimes they still make me kind of nauseous. We deserve justice. But God gives us mercy. We deserve justice but God gives us mercy. You all deserve justice, but God has given you mercy. Somebody say mercy. Now somebody give the Lord praise on today. Mm. The beautiful thing about all of this is that even though the disciples had a tendency to get it wrong, then get it wrong, Then get it wrong again, Christ still held them and loved them. He forgave them. He restored them. He let them know that he still believed in them. Even as he ascended into heaven, he even gave them marching orders. He let them begin again. Even though they didn't believe that he rose again at first, God still used them. He used them to build his church and spread his love and his word. Even though we have been full of doubt in our frailty and our disbelief, God still loves us. He still loves you. He still believes in you. He believes in what he put Inside of you, even though you have fallen short so many times, he still loves you. Grace and mercy, you can begin again. He is now calling you to spread his love. He's now calling on us to spread his word. You see, we have to remember that a risen Savior still has scars. The scars didn't disappear when Jesus rose from the dead. I used to wonder, why did he leave the scars there? He rose from the dead. I would have came out super fresh, all new. But he left the scars there. He had his disciples touch them so they would know that he was really dead. The scars from his crucifixion stayed on him so that we would know what he had been through for us. We all have been scarred by life. We all have been scarred by our failures, scarred by our past. But the beautiful thing is that even as God breathes new life into you, even though he makes you a new creature and you still see those scars, you'll be able to look at those scars and say, I once was dead, but now I am alive. I have been to hell and back and I got the scars to prove it, baby. Because he got up, you can begin again. You don't have to stay locked in the past because Jesus arose from the dead on Easter morning. You can walk in newness of life. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things passed away, behold, all things become new. Somebody here needs to know that with Jesus in your heart, You can live again. You can begin again. You'll have the power to walk right. You'll have the power to talk right. Jesus came so that you would have life and life more abundantly. You can begin again. Hallelujah. Even though life may have left you dead in your heart and in your emotions, he can bring you back. You can learn how to live again. You can be whole. He said, I make everything new. You don't have to carry that pain and that regret with you anymore. You can be free in Jesus' name. You can begin again. Oh, the world may have left you beaten and crippled on the side of the road, but he said, be of good cheer, Because I have overcome the world. You can begin again. Deuteronomy 5 and 33. You shall walk in all the ways in which the Lord your God has commanded you. That you may live and it will be well with you. You can begin again. Ephesians 2 and 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead in our addiction, even when we were dead in our cheating on our spouses, even when we were dead and us not being able to see a brighter day, even when we were dead in our sickness, his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You can begin again. Oh, somebody give praise on today. Come on, let's worship him on today. Everybody stand up and give him praise on today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, worship him, worship him, worship him. can begin again. worship Him, hallelujah. Give Him praise on this morning. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. This is the day. This most important day, this day is the reason why we believe what we believe. That because He lives, you can begin again. Begin Again, No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter who you've done it to, no matter what has been done to you, you can begin again. There may be someone here under the sound of my voice who in, in, in your body, you may be alive and breathing and moving from day to day, but you're not really living. It's like you're walking dead. Dead in your trespasses. Dead in your past. Dead because of what you've done. Dead from what life in the world has done to you, but Jesus came so that we would have life and life everlasting. You don't have to just exist, but you can truly live. I don't want to just exist, I want to live. Tell God I want to live. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever, I don't care who you are, whosoever, I don't care what you are wearing. Whosoever, I don't care what you have done, what you've been through. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That is so much more than what your past and your experiences have said about who you are. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will bring you back from the dead. I'm talking about being alive in the truest sense. You don't have to be the walking dead anymore. You can have life and life ever more. Now, there is someone here. there is someone online that wants to have true life that doesn't want to just be alive but to really be living life to truly live that's tired of wondering if this is all that there is I'm here to let you know that you can have life and life eternal that you can have victory in this world that he came above all things that you would prosper and be in good health. So if that's if there is someone here that wants to truly live, if that's you, come on down here to this altar. Resurrection Day is a perfect day for you to walk into your new life. If that's you, come on down here to this altar. The day that Jesus got up from the dead is a perfect day for you to walk in to your new life. Even if you are already saved, if you're you're facing a dead situation, you need to come on down. We want to pray with you. You might have been married and in the church and married for 10 years, but you want to begin again in your marriage. You might have been praying for your children all of this time, but you want to begin again in your relationship with your child. You might want to begin again in your relationship with your spouse, with your wife. You might want to begin again in your career. You might want to begin again and just live a new life. God has so much more for you in store. He has put greatness inside of you. He has put purpose inside of you. Now is the time for you to leave the past behind and step into what God has for you because he has put something inside of you. The world needs for us to be light. It needs for us to be salt. The world needs what God has put inside of you. Just come forward. We want to come pray with you. We want to stand with you. You are not alone. We want to support you. We want to hold you up. We want to lift you up. Just come forward. We want to pray with you. Mm. Hallelujah. You can begin again. Oh, just a few more seconds. There's still room at the altar. Hallelujah!